0: Thanks for tuning in to the 168 Podcast, a podcast from Mitchell Knight and Jordan Byrd of the Clarence Church of Christ, aimed at helping you connect Sunday worship with everyday life. What's up, 168ers? Welcome back to another edition of the 168 Podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about giving to the church. Um, this month at the Clarence Church of Christ, we're focused on missions and Jordan last week preached a sermon, uh, on the importance of giving and, uh, how a faith promise, um, is impactful for God's kingdom and his mission. So, um, yeah, maybe we could start with, um, some of your thoughts on your sermon preparation, you know, what you were thinking about with that topic and why you think it's important just as like a general overview.
1: Yeah. So I think a little bit of context to why we wanted to discuss this is just thinking in general about giving in the church and the role that it plays within the body of people who are the church. And I think to address some of the maybe cultural assumptions that come into giving with any organization and I think in our culture in Western American culture, we typically think of like giving toward the church as being like, I contribute to the functioning of this body. And so it's like a, it's a very practical thing, right? Like a, just like a household, you have to have income coming in to pay for utilities and that kind of stuff. Same thing with like a church body. It's just bigger. Right. Or it's, we think of it like a company the church maybe even gets compared to a political realm in some sense where it's not a business, it's a nonprofit, but it has, you know, still has income it has to think about in terms of the needs of the, the body to function in terms of like a building or salaries or some of those things. But is that all there is to giving? Like, is it, does it simply come down to, X amount is needed to do X amount of things. And like, so it's just a very practical give and take, or is there something broader or deeper in meaning when it comes to giving in the church? You want to touch on just that concept at all? Or yeah. Flesh out maybe what I'm trying to say.
0: <laughs> I think you're right. I think in our society, many of us look at giving to the church, just kind of like giving to any other charity, just kind of, Giving them what they need to do what they do, but money is. I remember Pastor Jeff and Fredonia telling me or telling us that you know, like money's instrumental. Like it's not valuable in and of itself. It's just a way to either get something or get somewhere. And we're basically trying to equip people when it comes to like giving for missions to be able to carry out God's mission. It's not the. It's not necessarily the giving of the money it's more about the enabling of god's good work to be promoted and i think when we look at it that way we look at the the end goal of what we're doing it becomes less of a tax write off at the end of a year at the end of the year and just more of a an actual life changing event for someone in need like you know we we do stuff um even though it's not you know giving money but with like the ides food pack or like you know you're giving meals to somebody else And supporting mission partners, um, they're able to not have to worry about more material things because they have support in that area. So I, I'm trying to walk a fine line here, but I think I hope what I'm saying makes sense. But it's more than just, you know, just on our end of the mathematical stuff. It's like I gave this this amount. It could it could mean that well you actually gave like. Six meals to people in need in another country through one of our mission partners, I mean, I think that's kind of the the impetus for giving at least for me. There's more of a a life impacting not yeah life impacting consequence to to your giving that's more aligned with what God wants to do in the world rather than just doing good for good's sake,
1: yeah, I mean bottom line is the giving. You know general giving to the church in most churches does go to at least to some portion of it at least um if not maybe a, a good chunk of it for a lot of churches goes to local functioning of that body, whether that's you know salaries of staff or to upkeep a building things like that like I'm not trying to say that that's not there. I'm just trying to say I think our typical thinking of giving or contributing or even the I, the mentality of like thinking about paying toward an organization like i pay x amount toward this streaming service or this like my cable bill or whatever and by doing so like i get this thing back in return and so my my point kind of like at least starting here is just pointing out that we can often or we're shaped in our culture to think about services in that way like i give or contribute or whatever this amount of money because we're all talking about money here essentially and what comes back from that? And so the perspective could either be, it's like, what do I get out of it? Or, you know, the further outer band of that would be like beyond just me to like, who else is being impacted by this. And so that's kind of, I think getting to what you're talking about. And I think our discussion wants to touch on, like there's, there's probably even more to it than just that. Cause like what you're touching on is, yeah, you're giving towards something that's bigger than just you benefiting. It's, you know, other people who are benefiting from it, you know, that kind of thing.
0: That's a good way to sum it up. That's kind of what I was getting at. Just you're not, because you're right. It's more of like the materialistic part of us saying, if I if I'm spending money, I'm usually getting something for what I'm spending. And in maybe a deeper spiritual sense, like we'll talk about in a little bit, that is true with this. But it's more about you know a sacrifice to yourself, like what you were saying in order to bless other people, not necessarily to expect something in return, but to expect, um, you know, God to do his work in the world through your donation.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, the parallel here, and I think I already alluded to it is in politics, right? I mean, it's not uncommon to hear someone talk about, well, my, t- I pay toward the tax, you know, I give toward taxes. I mean, my taxes go toward this service. Why aren't we getting a, the return out of it, or it should be better. You know, I'm contributing toward it. I should have a say in it, that kind of a thing. And I'm not saying that all people do this with the church, but that's a way that we are shaped to view our money going towards something that's a broader organization. And so I think some of that mindset can creep into the perspective of how a church functions too, of, well, I gave my money. So therefore like, it's like this dictatorial thing. Like we can hold it as leverage or whatever. And, and I'm not saying like that viewpoint or mindset is like completely absent there. Like obviously be discerning about where you're putting your money. Like if you think a church or any other organization is like, just like wasting it, then use discernment there. Like, I'm not saying you can't have that, but I'm just saying that mentality can be shaped in how we view money, especially I think in the church to some degree. And I think some people, you know, Will say, "Hey, I'm going to take my money elsewhere," you know, or people. I've even heard it mentioned, like, "Well, you know, if you don't make this thing in the church how I would want it, like, you know, I give whatever amount, and if I go, that's going to you know hurt hurt the bottom line of the church or something like that." And all of that is a mindset or a the Mm -hmm. impetus for how someone's giving, like that's what's dictating what they do, not just the broader things that are happening through the church, like like what you're talking about, and, um. I think one thing we need to probably like side note here is that at least from my understanding or at least my history within the, the churches that, you know, the church I grew up in and the one I'm, you know, we're part of now with Clarence Church of Christ is that different churches approach giving, especially toward missions in different ways, at least from my understanding, like what we do in our congregation with a faith promise is different than what I know the church I grew up in did. Their approach was everything that was given toward the body of Christ, you know, through an offering as a whole, they designated that like 10%, no matter what of that was going to go toward missions. And that's how they approached it. So in a sense, like when you gave your regular offering to the church, you know, it was, it was understood or at least, talked about that like you know you're giving toward missions and doing this so like it's still a like you have the choice to give right um and i'm not sure if they did any kind of like designated giving or anything like that but i just know like that's how they approached it whereas like with our the way we have it set up is there's like general giving toward like the more local functioning of the church if you will uh like the building salaries the ministries the church does within the local community and then the mission partners that we support around the world that budget of what is given is tabulated separately and that's what is done through faith promises so a faith promise is simply just a amount that a person has discerned in in prayerful um relationship with God of like what they believe God would have them give up in their means or you know they're prayerfully approaching like hey God can I give this amount or would you enable me to be able to give this amount and they pledge or promise, if you will, that they're going to give that amount per month for the, the next year. And out of those that promise, and, and as everyone else does that, that total amount of money is then figured out to split up among the mission partners that the church supports. And so that's a separate giving than like general giving, but the mentality of giving in general is still similar to how another church would approach it. It's just not all lumped together. Is kind of what I'm trying to say, but just to kind of point out that different churches approach it a little bit differently, but the faith promise model is how our congregation specifically approaches it. you want to touch on any of that at all?
0: Yeah. I <clears throat> maybe just to kind of put a bow on it, like with this, this part of it. I mean, we've kind of gone over that giving toward God's kingdom is not purchasing a service for yourself. It's about like actually investing in God's kingdom And when you look at it from that mentality, if you know you're doing it as a blessing, like you mentioned in your sermon, or kind of a little bit just now, you alluded to it that, you know, in talking about sometimes you have to pray that, hey, can you enable me to give this amount? Like sometimes giving for the kingdom means it's a sacrifice. It's not always going to flow from abundant reserves. I mean, you think about like Jesus talking about the poor woman who put in everything that she owned and she ended up giving much more than people who, you know, were wealthier, you know, more well off. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the, the act of giving, if we look at it already as a sacrifice, then, you know, I feel like that kind of gets us more rooted in that mentality that it's not purchasing things for myself. It's about giving of myself for the benefit of the kingdom. Yeah. So, and, yeah, I mean, the the faith promise stuff is, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great way to do that. I mean, especially w- we kind of get into that mentality because it's it's a separate thing that we say, well, this is about, like, over and above what you're doing, like, your regular donation. I think it even says that on the form. I mean, it's, like, mm-hmm. different than your regular donation. If you can promise to give this much, like, you know, you'll see fruit be born for God's kingdom. And, yeah, I think that the separation of it for me helps me get into that more sacrificial mentality for sure.
1: Yeah. And by no means am I trying to say that either way of approaching giving toward, you know, missionary work around the world is not entailing this sacrificial approach to it. Like I think both entail having to have that mentality or mindset going into it. Um, I think if, if I'm, not wrong in stating this, the, the kind of taking the 10% off is very much based on like a tithe mentality. So like you see a lot of that more in the old Testament. And I mean, it's still a designated amount. Like I, I, it's not like a bad approach. I think from my viewpoint, like the one benefit of maybe a faith promise is that, and I think you already kind of made this point, there's maybe a little bit more intentionality that's put specifically toward that. Um, but it also kind of makes it a little bit more, maybe more obscure because you're talking about two different ways of giving in that way. But at least from faith promises specifically, I know the message I most recently gave, I tried to tie how we see a faith promise being made by the Philippian church to the work that the apostle Paul did in various places beyond the, the town or city of Philippi and Macedonia. And even there, at least if you look kind of in the, what it's, what's mentioned about the Philippian church in Corinthians, it gives the impression that they, at least in the one instance for sure, when they're giving toward the, the church in Jerusalem, where like the churches are collecting an offering and Paul eventually takes it to Jerusalem or part of a convoy that takes it there. But at least in that passage in Corinthians, second Corinthians eight, I think is eight and nine, somewhere in there. Um, It talks about how they gave and like gave kind of over and beyond so there is a little bit of mentioning above or beyond like what their initial like level of giving could have been and whether that played out like how we do it today where there's like sort of normal giving to like the local body of christ and the ministry it does or if it's in terms of like a separate thing to like missionary work or to help someone in a city nowhere near you Um, I think it's kind of beside the point, but the heart of how they approach that is what I was looking to tap into in terms of bringing it out of what we see in scripture. And yeah, I mean, I think what you see there is that there was a belief in who God was that backed their approach to giving. And it is very much that, they are incapable of giving the amount that they gave if it weren't for God being active in their life. And I think that plays out in multiple different ways. Like on one hand, it alludes to that they were able to give more money than they initially thought that they could. So there's one thing that comes out of it. But then you see some of the references that Paul makes to their approach to giving, that it also looks like they benefit in a like they matured spiritually in the process. So not only was there like more money that was, that came out of the process of, of them giving, but also their character was developed in in the process. So there was two things that increased at least from that standpoint alone, let alone talking about how it benefited Paul and what he did. And he's not, you know, that's not the Philippians benefiting in any way. That's, that's Paul benefiting. And I don't think it's a stretch to say like Paul's character probably was built in that way as well. So it kind of dominoes maybe in that way. I didn't really mention that in my message, but that's kind of clicking, just thinking about it now.
0: Yeah, so I I was going to touch on that, what you just brought up. So we've kind of laid the foundation for what biblical or godly giving to the church looks like. But I think a lot of times, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this today, um, a lot of times we hear about why it's impactful for God's kingdom from the more church oriented, like the more corporate church oriented perspective, but we don't really come at it from, you know, what Paul is saying about how it develops our character to be more Christ like because our giving, you know, our sacrificial giving is helping us to be more like Christ. I mean, you even hear that in the word sacrifice. If, if your gift is a sacrifice, you're showing that, You and your personal affairs are less important than what you want to see God do. Um, And I I just think it helps us to, because I think we're really, especially in America, I think we're obsessed with ownership. Like we have everything, we own everything. Like we were talking about before, if we spend money, we get something for it. But in reality, I mean, everything we have is ultimately borrowed. I mean, You know, this house, uh, my food, all my possessions are under my name, but my name is under Jesus's. So, I mean, I I think giving in that way helps you to get into a more humble mindset. So I I think, you know, the sacrificial part of it, the humble part of it, if that can be attributed to you through giving as a practice, then that helps develop you into being more Christ-like. And... Yeah, I, I just think that's really cool about it. So I mean you're you're building yourself up and we, we talked about not purchasing purchasing anything for yourself, but when you're in the right mindset of giving it giving of yourself to do it, you are becoming more like Christ.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the main things that stands out in in terms of giving and the formation that happens to or, you know, the shaping of us into being more Christ like that comes out of it is I think the thing for us especially in our culture that really comes out and you just hit on it and that like we really gravitate toward ownership and I think one thing that giving shapes us to be is dependent on on someone else in this instance God and also to recognize that like ultimately it all comes from him so there's a having to give up control ultimately in the process right cuz I mean you could approach it that way but I don't know if the same Benefits probably formational benefits probably going to come if you approach giving from the standpoint of, well, I'm giving, but I don't see this certain thing playing out, so therefore I don't want to give, because your mentality there is like I want to control it. Yeah, and again, that's not to say like there can't be discernment and you know like, you know, if they're doing the fairest things. Like, <laughs> I get it. Like, you don't want to support evil things if that's what's happening. But in general, like, I think we default to maybe wanting wanting to be more, more micromanagers than maybe we tend to think that we probably are. I mean, that's just the world where the culture where we swim in all the time of, I get to shape and mold and do the things that I do. Like that's, that's our culture. It's very individualized. And like, you know, I get to dictate like what I do. And so therefore it extends into how our money gets used. I mean, and this, it doesn't take long to see how this plays out just in commerce, right? Like our culture is very much shifted to the like, customer is always right, yeah. regardless of the fact. I mean, who has not returned something to Walmart that you're like, how did they even take that back? I mean, it's just like their motto has defaulted to like, no, you're gonna get a, ba- you're you're in the right here, and th- no questions asked to some degree. Um, anyway, I mean, I think that's one thing that that definitely comes out is giving up control of a part of our life, even if it's in a financial way, but that's part of surrendering. Right. And that's part of what our call to follow Jesus is about is surrendering our control to his leading, providing, uh, his wisdom, his will, you know, all those different things. It's like you're in control. Even if I don't really know how in the world this plays out, even if I don't see like 10 people come to follow Jesus in the process, like you're using it somehow. And that was kind of my point. And sort of highlighting all the things that comes out in the exchange between the church and Philippi and and the Apostle Paul is that whether Paul was benefited or whether people came to Christ in the process or whether the Philippians themselves became more mature, like there was a benefit or fruit to be bore, regardless. and that's that seems to be what is for sh- you know sure or certain in the process of giving toward God's mission. And that's like one of the things we want, that's what we're trying to highlight in, in talking about this is that it's not just the, well, I gave this much money and so this practical return came back. And it's not to say there's not tangible returns or like real, real visible or discernible returns because it could not, it, you know, it could be in your character and that's still a return. Uh, but usually that's not something we can make happen on our own. Like that's the inside out thing that, that God does that we can't do. Do you want to touch on anything else there?
0: Yeah, the last thing I'd add is <clears throat> just from my my own personal background, like coming at a lot of the aspects of the faith from a, a skeptic's position. I mean, most of us, at least you know, in, in my class in regular high school history, I mean, you learn a little bit about church history and you learn about things like you know the Catholic Church um, when they were doing indulgences, where you could pay money to supposedly get your loved ones out of purgatory faster and that kind of stuff. And, like, when you when you see that kind of stuff, at least for me, it's like, well, this is a scam. Like, why would you give anything? Like, um, you know, so I came in at it from the perspective that people were giving to the church across the board just because they were expecting something in return. But in coming to know Christ better and seeing how his people actually gave, it's like, wait, you're just kind of giving this. You're not expecting anything back from it. You're recognizing it's not yours. You're not thinking like you're going to get to heaven if you do this. Um, and in doing that and seeing their example, that actually was, you know, it's like, wow, that person is different. Like, I haven't seen that before. That person's, you know, there's something you can't put on that kind of example. And, of course, now, you know, there is something you could put on that example. That's Christlike behavior. It's like, this isn't me. This isn't my stuff. You know, your will be done. It's like, I know I'm giving this up, and if I don't get anything back from it, you know, it's it's whatever. So, I mean, for me, that was, I mean, it, it was more I- implicit in my mind until we talked about it now. But, I mean, yeah, especially being out at uh, Pillar of Fire in Fredonia and seeing people give of themselves and then being at Clarence and seeing, especially, like, the mission donations and stuff like that, that kind of helped me to get more rooted in that. That mindset. So, mm-hmm. all right. Now, <laughs> now it's time for the one six eight debate. So today we're doing a very simple one six eight debate with some very ripe, luscious, low hanging fruit, and predicting the Super Bowl between the Cincinnati Bengals. Still can't believe that, and the Los Angeles Rams, which should still be St. Louis, but whatever. L. Eight, look, California has enough. <laughs> Leave them alone. There's St. Louis. Some, what, what does Missouri have?
1: I bet there's some prop bet about how many times St. Louis will be mentioned. Only just because Kurt Warner. They the last time. Well, I guess it wasn't the last time they're in the Super Bowl, but just the history and some of that stuff. Like I bet that's yeah. got to be a prop bet somewhere. Of how often
0: it's mentioned or whatever. So how about we'll do it, two questions for each of us. So from the more emotional side of it, who would you want to get the Lombardi Trophy? I can't believe I forgot the name of the, the trophy. Who would you want to get the Lombardi Trophy from a more emotional perspective, like leaving out any analysis and who you think would win, who would you want to win? You first.
1: Rams but purely from a Matthew Stafford standpoint just the guy endured in Detroit for as long as he did he's not horrible and just it's just you know he never had anything to be able to get him there it seems like and so really from him alone is really like I just I feel like he's put a lot of like long you know arduous years and into the sport and like it'd be cool to see him be able to like see the mountaintop of of a payoff Not that he hasn't had that in other ways in his life, but I think it'd be cool because, like, at least from my understanding, like, I don't think he forced his way out of Detroit. Like, it it was a trade that just, you know, the teams decided. So there's not that whole like, oh, you just wanted to get out mentality. Like, he's just along for the ride, and like, he ended up in a situation where he's thrived. Not that he wasn't before as a player, just but the team has done well. So for him alone, really, is the the thing I I want to see.
0: Yeah, for me, I think it's tough with this matchup because either way, it's kind of a heartbreak story with who loses. But, like, you know, Cincinnati fans have obviously paid their dues for, like, a Super Bowl win. But what's really strange is that the Bengals are still kind of in, like, a rebuilding phase, and they're already there. They've got, like, a really young, healthy, talented team. So, like, even if they lose, I think they'll be back at some point and for that reason and especially with the management at the Rams I mean they went all in for like now like we want to do this now we got Matthew Stafford now We're like our next first round pick is whatever like 6 years from now all like so many of our contracts are like going to be up after this year like if they don't win that's going to really sting um and like like Jordan said I it's close but I would I would want the Rams to win just because of that um That Matthew Stafford storyline, especially because Cooper Cup as a wide receiver is in the same the the same statistical league as Calvin Johnson with the what the catches, the receiving yards and the touchdowns. And Matthew Stafford is the glue between both of them. So it's just there's all kinds of cool stuff. (laughs) I mean, I mean, the fact that like, yeah, I mean, Matthew Stafford was a quarterback I rarely thought about until this year. Um just because he, he was like Lambast in Detroit and uh yeah, it'd be really cool to see him win. Um I mean the I, other emotional
1: things for me are just really the Bengals win before Buffalo. And then the other thing is just like they were four and whatever last year and in the yeah, Super Bowl this year. And then you have like and one Buffalo's history of like you know forever just like in the middle there, and it's just like, no, it doesn't work. No, no, shouldn't go from like four wins to you win the Super Bowl in a year. But the last I'm two, I'm sure em- other teams have probably done similar.
0: Last two emotional things first, now that the Bengals have upset the Kansas City Chiefs, um, either way, it would have been fine, but now it's definitely fine. The uh, four AFC championship wins in a row by Buffalo is still safe. Uh, and the second thing is um, <laughs> the Bengals beat the Chiefs with the same 13 seconds that all the Chiefs fans have been rubbing in Bill's Mafia's face. So that is awesome. Now, onto the objective analysis on who you think is going to win, just based on how the teams play, you know, the rosters. I could start. Thankfully for me, I think the, the, the emotional pick and the objective pick, I think, is the same for me. Um, just with the Rams, uh, I would pick the Rams to win. And again, like if we're going to go with like a, um, like a point differential, I think it's going to be close. I mean, in, like I'd probably be like a field goal, like three points. But I would have the Rams favored by like three points. Um, I don't condone betting, by the way. But that's just the way they predict games. Um, I would just say with how bad um, Cincinnati's offensive line is, which it's bad. I mean, in the divisional round, you got sacked 13 times and still won. I mean, that's fine, but what if it's not fine? Like, what if he drops the ball one of those times? What if he's pressured into a throw? And with the superstar defense that the Rams have, I mean, I would be surprised if they didn't just decimate them up front. So, whatever, like, Cincinnati would have to, like, be really quick about getting the ball away. Like T. Higgins would have to have like an amazing game, which he did in the championship game. So, I mean, you never know. That's why I think it's close. I mean, given the Rams' home field advantage, basically, which is I know because st- they're at home. I still can't
1: believe. Like, Mitch and I were talking about this before we recorded, but when else in our lifetime will there be likely two Super Bowls played back to back in a team's home? Like, I don't know that that probably was. I mean, it was miraculous, like, miraculous, whatever. I mean, it was like the first was last year that they even ever happened, let alone it's happening two times in a row, which is just crazy still. But yeah, so from an objective standpoint, I still think the Rams have the edge. I don't know that I quite have the analysis you have, other than I think there's probably some just general more experience for whatever that's worth in a playoff sense. I think. I mean yeah, I think that I think the moment could overwhelm Cincinnati possibly. I mean it's hard to tell, but I do think the defense of the Rams should fare well. The one thing with the Rams it seems like sometimes it's it's hard to know which team will show up. It seems I don't know. Or yeah. or you have the the random pick, I mean not random, but pick that Stafford throws and like what that I mean it That's almost happened in the too. last game with them. So So
0: there's that inconsistency there for sure. Um but yeah, like you're saying But what's different about the Rams, though, as opposed to the other, like, quote-unquote, two-faced teams this season, is, like, they can have, like, a low, like, they can have a horrible first half and then immediately bounce back and, like, randomly in the fourth quarter and just play really well. Yeah. So it's possible. So, like, there's pressure on both sides. Like, Stafford could, like, throw an Instacart delivery to the secondary of the Bengals. Like, that's possible. But, like you're saying, Burrow could get overwhelmed, too. And did um, we
1: figure out that they they really have never played each other?
0: No i I haven't figured that out. Um, I had
1: heard this, but maybe need some more research to actually confirm. Definitely it. not
0: in the Super Bowl. I don't think they yeah, played. Maybe in the it, Super maybe Bowl. playoffs
1: is what I was hearing, but either way, yeah. I so overall, I think the Rams definitely have the edge. It could come down to game management of the coaches, and McVeigh has made some if he game management decisions, it seems like. So who knows if that'll cost them. I more hope it's not the game a couple years ago against the Patriots where it was like whatever. What was it, 17 to 6 or some? No, it it was 15 15
0: to 3. The only touchdown was scored by the Patriots by Julian Edelman on like one of the first drives, and he was the MVP. When the receiver is the MVP, it's... Anyway, I just
1: hope it's not that kind of game. I Really, I just hope it's a game in general, but... So yeah, that's that's I still I still think Rams and that's who I want overall to win.
0: Okay. Let us know your predictions down in yeah, the comments. I disagree. One let six us eighters. Know. All right, you wanna start the wrap up?
1: Sure. So thank you for joining us for the one six eight podcast, and we hope that our conversation has at least stirred your thoughts to think further and deeper about how you approach giving uh through the church and uh, participating in God's mission by giving toward it. And hopefully it has helped stir thoughts about how God is shaping and molding you to become more like him and, in, in and through that process. And we hope you enjoyed our other discussion, although it's not as meaningful, but it's still fun to have. And yeah, like Mitch said, let us know if you agree or disagree. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining.
0: See you later. One six eighters.